All right, folks, uh, welcome back to this podcast's journey. Uh, we have a special guest all the way from Boston. We got Jared Carpenter, ladies and gentlemen, Jared Carpenter, the host of Wi-Fi and Water. How are you, sir? I am well. I am well. It's good to be on. Thank you for having me. That's dope. We met, uh, we met through, we went through, we met through the interwebs. We met on Instagram, just hitting each other up and stuff like that. And uh, your podcast is very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. So is yours. I, I've had a chance to uh, listen to a couple episodes, you know, just kind of scan through here, 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 you know, try to get an idea of where the podcast is, where it's going. Uh, and I love it. You know, I love, I love that. It's just kind of real. It's unscripted. It's, you know, I don't feel like you're doing a lot of editing cause not a lot of editing needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, and in that way, it's just like Wi-Fi water because I'm just all about conversations. And then you take that and you just throw it out to the world. Um, I like so. the title. Where'd you get the title from Wi-Fi and water? I, you know, I actually, I actually wanted to be water and Wi-Fi, but I ended up going with Wi-Fi and water just because of the way when you put the and on the top, it like fits because that's five characters and then water underneath is five characters. Oh. So that was more of an aesthetic thing as far as the, whether it's Wi-Fi and water or water and Wi-Fi. Um, but Wi-Fi and water is, um, you know, it really comes from the idea that we all have to deal every day with our, our wants and needs, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we need water, but we want Wi-Fi. But sometimes we conflate the two, especially in the, the quote, developed world. Um, and after having lived abroad and, and been in and around working in communities where, you know, they don't have water and right. it's like, we're not even thinking about Wi-Fi, you know, we need that first. And so, I don't know. It kind of touches on many things, uh, touches, touches on our needs and wants. And it's also like, yeah, in the world we live in now, especially in this pandemic, when I created the podcast, Wi-Fi seemingly is just as needed for us to be, you know, productive, Connected, successful, yeah. whatever, be able to communicate, be able to connect. Like we can't do this right now without Wi-Fi. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a way to kind of encompass everything. And I also, after having worked with a couple of brands, I know how important it is to create something where people will remember it very easily. Oh, Wi-Fi and water. You know, there are two things that like almost even in any language, even like, you know, I was going to, you know, even ESL, you know, English as a second language people like, right. Oh, those are Wi-Fi is in my language. And then water is, you know, I also understand that. So yeah. Like a double, double meaning to everything, you know? There's a lot. Such a there's deep, just, such a deep, deep parallels like water and Wi-Fi. Because I was like, man, I know everyone that thinks they need Wi-Fi. They think they need Wi-Fi, or when their Wi-Fi connection is down, like it's over. It's a wrap. Life, it's a wrap. Yeah. They're like, what? And I was like, some countries don't even have electricity, but we're just like, up. Oh. Yeah, and, and and I think that's where it kind of I don't know, and and I like that it's interpretive. Like people who have come on um they've asked me even like off recording what it means and sometimes people on recording have asked and i always ask that well what do you think it means you know so like jerry when you saw it, what did you what was your like gut reaction your like you know your quick quick take reaction well my last name is Waters, so i was like i always say everyone needs me so when they say waters i was like yeah <laughs> i was like you need water to survive and the wi-fi i was like wow both things that you need because All we feel right. like being around different countries like i've been in like third world countries as well and you wouldn't expect how much wi-fi they have but how they find a way to connect with the world totally totally and in cuba everything shuts off you get those little these wi-fi cards and stuff like that but there's a guy driving on the bike at night passing out cards and passing out uh different hard drives and everything else and i was like man they're so connected with this world how wi-fi has really brought the whole world together so we could see what's happening in another country. Yeah, and, and I think too, especially as we move forward in the United States, actually, where, where are you out of? We ha I don't even know. Oh, I'm, a, I'm in New York City. Oh, um, you're, you're in NY. Uh, what, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in New York City, I live in Harlem. So I'm in, uh, okay, cool. right in the cool. upper Manhattan. But I grew up, I'm from Florida, like Florida, by the way, of North Carolina, but I grew up in the Netherlands and I grew up in Tokyo in Japan. Wow, okay, cool. So like, cool. I've seen the world, and then I go, to, me and my lady were always traveling the countries and stuff like that. So when you say like water and Wi-Fi, I was like, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Everyone needs water. But I know everywhere we go, it's like, can I get that SIM card? Because I'm trying to get, can I get that? Can I exactly. Get and that's when I think I have like one of the first episodes I say like, why call a podcast Wi-Fi and water? 
And that's it. Like when you check in, the first thing you do when you get to a new place, I don't care if it's your local bar, if it's your friend's house, because you're going to watch some sports. Uh, if you get into a hostel in a foreign country, you get to a hotel, they don't tell you where the water is. They'll say, all right, sir, thank you for checking in. Here's the Wi-Fi password or the Wi-Fi password is located here in your room. Um, you know, it's just such an innate now part of our everyday experience. I think that even stopping and thinking about, never mind our addiction to like our screen addiction and how much our screen time has gone up since like you and I were kids. Right. Um, but now it's like that. And, and the other thing is that water, the water issue is no longer just an issue of developed nations. I mean, looking at just Flint, what has happened there is yeah. insane. And unfortunately it will continue to happen uh, to marginalized communities in the United States as funding especially gets sucked up for things like the pandemic or whatever it is you know like those communities get no love when their water goes but i guarantee if that happens to you know uh what's it westchester new york like right outside new york you know a, a more like white enclave that water is getting fixed right and some water and freaking i think there was like this lawsuit they had that they had to like settle because there was like uh lead in the water like 20 years ago in like new york and it's crazy how the water, Wi-Fi is trusted, but water isn't. Right. And that gets into to like, don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. Get bottled water. And I've heard too, I've heard too from many places across the planet. Like people will be like, oh, I live in X, Y, and Z. You just insert a city. We have the freshest and cleanest water. Like I've heard that from many different places. Like people, like people, you know, I spent, I was born in Colombia and uh, spent a lot of time there. And people are like, oh, we have the cleanest water in South America. But like you go to another <laughs> town, they're like, oh, we have the cleanest water in South America. And the same thing, like I went to university in Memphis and I feel like people there were saying, oh, we have the cleanest water and whatever. So it is like a point of bragging because it does really speak to like the local development of so many different, you know, things of infrastructure and political will to get that the way it is. But you're totally right. But we all trust Wi-Fi. But that's another thing. I guess I don't, you know, if I'm in, say I'm in a Starbucks, I don't drink coffee. I don't go to Starbucks, but it's a thing that people will like, no. But if I go to Starbucks and I'm with you and we're chilling and there's a Starbucks free, whatever, I'm probably just going to connect to it. But I don't after like knowing how much hacking and, you know, oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know. That. And, that's and people will like spoof the Wi-Fi's and, you know, so there's like some guy over there sitting who's just created a hotspot essentially. And then I connect to it. And then, so it is crazy how, maybe we trust the water quality and we don't even think about the Wi-Fi because we just assume, I think it's human nature to assume that everyone else is like, you know, not out to hurt us, right? Harm us. And we assume that everybody's spying on us. I think we do now. And I don't know. I think I mean, we've always you... been like that. I remember like being like, maybe like 11 and my dad, my dad was in the military saying like, they're watching you. I was like, what? <laughs> Saying like, you know, I think like their emails, I remember back in the day, emails were big. Like they're breaking to your emails. So be careful what you say in emails. But I'm just like, the government knows so much about me already. I don't know why they just don't tell me who my personal guardian hacker is. You, you have a personal, you Probably know, case. You have someone assigned to my life to be like, he knows when I wake up, you know, it could be a time. I for, one of my friends, she is, uh, She's now, during this pandemic, she's, ex she's explored her sexuality. So now she's become like, she's not a sex worker, but now she's like doing like burlesque and stuff like that. She's like, you got to like my pictures. I was like, I don't want to like your pictures because all my dad is going to start getting, I'm going to start getting amateur burlesque dancers the whole time. Yeah, the, the, the algorithm is going to throw all yeah, your friends now. Everything. I was like, yeah, I freaking know. So I get that. My podcast uh, one man, one tree in a hill is about just being alone for your own thoughts. How I forgot this book that I read, how most people are scared to be alone with their thoughts. A lot of people don't like being alone. Th that right there. And that is why I was like, I want to hop on. Well, first of all, also uh, for any Wi-Fi on water listeners, my name is Jarrett, which is two R's and two T's. And I'm talking to Jared and I saw Jared. So I saw it. I was like, dude, we got to do this. And maybe we start, you know, I'm down to do this once a month, like the Jared and Jarrett check-in. Jared and, and Jarrett, people, yeah. People are like, all right, we'll go listen to these fools ramble. But, uh, like water, um, water. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that is to me is the reason why the global, the global pandemic is so bad. If you look at the numbers, uh, yes, people are dying. Yes. That is a tragedy, right. but most people, you know, 
I'm going to say most, and I really don't know how general I should be about this because people definitely in my community, my local community passed away. Like it hit Massachusetts hard. It hit New York city hard. Like we're not right. going to, I'm not going to say it didn't, but I feel like the pandemic has been so hard for most people because it forces them to look in the mirror. It forces them to sit down and say, you know what, if I'm not my job, what am I? Yeah. You know, cause I've worked 20 years at say, say, you know, the case I worked 20 years at X, Y, and Z. X, Y, and Z, I worked 20 years as a flight attendant. Now, you know, that is done. I can't travel anymore, which is definitely hard for me because I'll have to travel. And now I have to probably shift what I'm going to do. And I have to look in the mirror. I have to spend hours and days and weeks inside my house. And I have to kind of wrestle with the fact that I've been developing this career and putting all of it for so long that I don't really have those hobbies. Do yeah. I like to read? Now I got to sit down and read. Oh man, people are talking about meditation, yoga. Let me try that. Oh, now I have to sit with my thoughts. Um, and so I think that I've always said that that is the reason why people don't like the global pandemic because it doesn't give them an excuse to numb themselves. You know, yeah. even if you are someone who's, you know, dealing with substance abuse, uh, you, maybe you drink too much. I think even during the pandemic, it's pushing you to a point where like, dude, I, is this what I'm doing? Am I just drinking all day? Right. Like, liquor stores is the only business, essential business right now. Like, wow. Right. But is this what's good? Am I just hung over all the time? Right. You know, like once I take my job out of it and maybe I'm just drinking or whatever it is, like we're all addicted to something. Um, you know, I'm playing Fortnite for 14 hours. When you stop that and you step and you're like, oh my God, it's quiet. Like, you hear that? It's silence, you know? So I think that's been one of the hardest parts where, uh, especially in like this capitalistic machine that we live in where we have to stop and say, Whoa, like what is our value? What are we bringing to the planet? Are we be, are we showing up for the people we love the way we, we should? And now in some sense, it's like a reset. And I think, so that's why when I saw your podcast, I was like, yo, this guy's onto something because I think those are their conversations that people are having internally. So it's good for them to then hear it externally through a podcast to know that they're not alone in their crazy thoughts, you know, in their uncomfortable thoughts. Correct. And I freaking, I was doing this before the pandemic. Like I was always about, I'm a stand-up comic. So we're always on the road alone, on the road alone and sitting there like that. And I was like, how many people just take time to explore yourself? Because it's, it's the first episode is hard because you're just by yourself. And eventually you realize like, oh, now I could start. Oh no, there's a lot I could talk about. And it forces you to just break open yourself a little bit. Because when I have guests on, it's so easy to go inside their lives and get everything else. But when you're alone, you're just like, oh, do I really want to tell this part about me that's really something that I don't like about myself, but really people can relate because they're alone as well. And I think New York is hit at the worst because a lot of New Yorkers, they don't like the way they live. Most of them don't like their families and they're confined to a close space. <laughs> Most of them don't like their families. Yeah, you can see it. Like I live by myself, but I see people, imagine someone with like six roommates six filthy roommates and you're stuck in there and you guys are both actors. Somebody, you guys have to be bartenders and you guys are stuck together. And I was like, I see why people are just like leaving and going back home. I get it. I lived in New York. Uh, I went to grad school. I did my master's in New York and I went to the new school and I lived in Brooklyn for about two years and I'll go back to New York every once in a while. I still got some, some good friends uh, over in Brooklyn. Um, also in Manhattan too. And I remember when, well, first of all, I got evicted when I was in two years, I lived in three, three or four different apartments. And one of the apartments I was in, we got evicted and I'm telling this story to bring context and I'll bring it back to what you're talking about. And we move into this apartment. It's awesome. It's this duplex, whatever. And then one day somebody from the city came in and they had to look at our water boilers for energy efficiency or whatever. So the guy knocks on the door. I'm like, Oh yeah, you want to see the water boilers? Like whatever. All right, go down. And you know, we have like a, a duplex or like the little basement area with the spiral staircase. Yeah, go check it out. It's right down there. Cool. I'm just doing some work up here. Like, let me know if I can help you with anything. He goes down, he takes photos of the boiler and he leaves. So when he took photos of the boiler, I didn't know he took photos of the fact that we didn't have a second egress. We didn't have another way out the back. So this dude, he's a city worker. He's honestly just doing his job, even if that looks like snitching. He sends that up to whoever he sends that up. Two days later, yeah, what's up? Oh, we're from the city. You're evicted. Oh, what's up with that? Well, we sent someone over who was looking at your boilers, but they're from the city and they know the code and you don't have, you know, in the case of a fire, you need two ways to get out of your basement. You, so you have the spiral staircase, but you don't have anything out the back. So it was just wow. a basement with nothing else. So he said, you have 24 hours to vacate. and 
I was just like, mm. well, we got Trojan horsed. And so what happened was we started to push back. We pushed back. It wasn't our fault. Like the management company that rented us this apartment shouldn't have done that, right? They knew that they were renting an apartment that wasn't up to code. So we kind of threw them at, we threw that at, you know, we, we threw them that bone and they were like, all right, fine, fine. So we ended up staying in that apartment for about six weeks off lease. Uh, we weren't squatting. We were just kind of like the owners knew we were there and they were just letting us stay there. But it was in that time of like not having a place to live where we started to do a lot of like investigation. And this happens all the time in New York. Landlords take crazy advantage of tenants, especially when the tenants don't speak English as their first language, right? And maybe they're, they're undocumented. So they're like, definitely not going to probably raise their voice. They're going to just keep it moving. And it was at that time, I remember I heard this stat that it was like New Yorkers, the thing they're most, um, they're most thankful for and grateful for at Christmas was where they live. Yeah. Right. And that made total sense because I was like, oh man, going through that and then having to find a new apartment in like December when it's freezing and trying to move stuff. I guess I meant to say, I bring that all the way back to what you're saying. Cause that's like, there is going to be a max. It's already started a massive exodus in the next 12 months from urban areas, especially like New York city where people are paying unbelievable amounts of rent to live in pillboxes. And it used to be okay because yeah, it gave me access to this unique job market and I want to do this. Um, uh, you know, I, and I also have friends here, but now that people can start to do things from wherever, and maybe you're a comedian and now you're on TikTok and you tell a joke in under 15 seconds and now you have 4 million followers. I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And I'd love to hear you talk more about like where comedy is going, but it's like with you, the ability for me to now work at this hedge fund, this startup, this tech thing, whatever it is, and just do it from zoom, I'm going to get more land. I am going to get more space for me to spread my wings, literally be able to like extend, like do yoga in my bedroom, you know? And so I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens to New York Uh, because I have friends there and and now I have another friend uh, and people are just like, you know, if I, the reason why you come to the cities is for opportunities, right? In the industrial revolution, like we went to the cities because we're like, oh, we could farm all day and make this much, or we go to the city and make three times as much for the same amount of hour input. So we're going to go do that. So city has always been about opportunities, but now with like the diffusing of opportunities moving anywhere because you can use zoom and you can still connect. And if I'm going to be in the cubicle down the hall in whatever, it's the same as if I'm in my bedroom, like I currently am now, you know, connecting to zoom 3000 miles away. If I can be on Slack zoom and keep Google drives up and running, there's no reason. So it's going to be very interesting to see if people are going to put up with these rent prices, this loneliness. Cause also I'd never been surrounded by so many people in my life as far as living in New York city, but felt so alone at times, you know, when you're on the subway and you see all these other people and you know that they're just, they're just going from a to B or B to a, they're going back to their families, but we're all just sitting there with our iPhones, like our, our head pods, you know, our, our ear, you know, we're just listening to music. We're all crammed together. I don't know. It was living in New York is definitely an experience. I love it. Um, and I, but I don't know long-term what's going to happen because I do think people are going to move out. I think when they move out, the price is going to go down. I think the price is going to go down and there's going to be a good four years of people who are here. Like, I think like, it's going to be, it's going to be like maybe four years where it's just going to be like, New York's going to be like, I think like Florida a little bit. What do you mean? Like, I mean, you know, people come down to Florida because there's not that many people and there are people, people are spaced out. So I think New York is finally going to like space out and they're like, re, they'll start rebuilding a little bit. You know, a lot of private buildings might probably get knocked down and stuff like that because I think people are going to live and like more people move to the city because they realize like New York's nice when you have space. Like now since the pandemic, this is the most space I've ever had. Like, oh man, these places look like I'm in Kinston, North Carolina. The streets are empty and stuff like that. And it's, it's a beautiful city when you look at it. Like I didn't know how beautiful the city was. I was like, oh wow, New York really is nice. When you're not walking all over the city and everything else, it's like, oh wow, now I get it. Why are you coming here? And as a stand-up comic, because I, I, was, I, was, I still I teach kindergarten. So like Zoom, this pandemic was cool because all my eight-hour days went to two hours three hours so now i have more time to write more time to do things like this and like comedy is changing but it's like live stand-up comedy is just like if you see a guy do a joke on tiktok would you go see him live if he's gonna do the same joke 
yeah, yeah. no uh, music is music is cool but with stand-up is such an intimate thing so when i started in florida in north carolina we're outside we're doing random parks everything else so now we're back to doing parks again we're back being outside we're back doing this and a lot of comics who aren't used to it they're having a hard time but i'm like hey i worked at disney world i had to tell thirty thousand people i need you to slowly line up and at the same time have a smile on your face and try to make them laugh within that other place it's like oh i'm going back to the basics I'm like oh this is this is how i started like all the skills that i've learned throughout life are coming back around i was like oh wow cool oh okay now i got it now oh this is this is it so i figure i know a lot of comedians are struggling because their source of income is the road and no one knows when this pandemic's going to end. Because every time it's about to end, some state is like, we got 100,000 cases. Let's gear it back up again. Oh, North Carolina, shut it back down. I was like, okay. And unfortunately, it's going to foreseeably continue to be like that. Um, but the until- good thing is that we, the whole world is working on a cure. This is the first time the whole world is like on one page. This is yeah, totally. This is the first time, I guess, probably since you know this, the the flu in the early 20th century. And I guess I'm also like, say there's say you know tomorrow, Jared. They're like, oh yeah, we have a vaccine. Cool. There's going to be millions of people in this country that won't take it because they think Bill Gates is trying to put a chip in their arm. You know, because yeah. now they're a public health professional because they watch YouTube for three hours a day. You know, so. And if they don't take it, then we can't, you know, we're, we're still going to be susceptible and some of our systems are still going to be has America Has America's government really let the people trust them? I, I don't think they have. No, I don't think they no, have. We're the but, only country where we, don't tr- we do not trust, it. we don't trust anyone except our family and close friends. We, I, we I actually- on a YouTube hole for like three hours, like, you know what? I think Bill Gates really is Illuminati. We're like, what the frick? Where did this come from? I think in some sense, we're more and more like other countries. I don't know any Latin American country where people are like, yeah, we totally trust the government because every single one of those countries has had something happen in the last 30, 40 years that people are like, no, we don't trust the government. Like, it's not like that. Yeah. And a lot of it, honestly, was fueled and funded by the U.S. There were so many coups that were thrown over there that the U.S., you know, we have the backing of that. So in many ways, it's kind of like karma came around in the sense that our election was meddled by a foreign country. Like, that's nothing new. Uh, You know, being through the lens of Latin America, people are like, yo, what are you complaining about? Y'all did that to us couple times now because we were going to put in you know socialist uh leaning people who were for who were for the pueblo who were for la gente like who wanted to help out people so please don't we don't care about your crocodile tears and now with the is in america it's like this it's like i I don't get how we we meddle in other countries and then when the the refugees or anything else when they come here we're just like i was like how are you gonna where do you think they're gonna go yeah yeah, they got to come here. You went to their country and destroyed their whole social way of living. So now they're here and we're just like, we don't want them here. Like, how do you not want them here? Yeah. I don't get how anyone in England is like that. Like you should, your country should be full of people from different countries. There's no reason why you guys should be even the slightest degree mean or dis- disrespectful to Muslims because you effed up all their countries. You went to all these countries and took everything and everything else. England, America, freaking France, Spain, Portugal, Portugal. You should have the most diverse country in the world. Yeah. These people should have an unlicensed freaking, I forgot in England where they told all the Caribbean countries, come help build up England. We, the queen needs you. And then they put them in the projects. Like we promised you houses and everything. I was like, yep, we're going to put you over here. All right. You Nigerians. All right. You Jamaicans stay over here and we're going to, put you in this environment that you hate each other and then expect it to be that way. So it's like now as America's like, it's, it's coming back, you know? And I think that's the hard thing for people to, to really to tussle with, because I think many people in the United States, I don't know why they believe this, but they believe, I do know why they believe this. I shouldn't say I don't know why, you know, we're taught in schools. If you just look at the textbook that 
you know, this is the, the beacon, what's it, the shiny beacon on a hill, right? Yeah. We are democracy's end all and be all, and you have to follow us and we're going to spread democracy across the planet. And, you know, and then when, you know, the New York Times 1619 project comes out, which is like, no, let's also teach all these things through the lens of his systemic uh, institutional racism. And there's pushback. It's like, oh, okay, we understand how this goes, you know, and the fact that many, the fact that there isn't like, the fact that every state also has its way of like educating. There are so many things like, cause I have, I went to school in Memphis. And so I have many friends Oh, I, I wouldn't have probably had if I didn't go to school in Memphis. I had many friends from Tennessee and Texas primarily. Those were the two biggest draws. And some of the stuff that those kids, you know, it's the, the textbooks that they read were different than the textbooks that I read. You know, U.S. history from the North to the South is different. Like what you and I maybe learned from growing up, uh, you know, if you, if you were, well, you, maybe Florida, you've seen it all, but Florida, North Carolina, yeah, and New yeah. York, and it seems like you may have moved around, but it's just crazy that there's not like, this is what happened, you know, like, you know, black famous people will be a sprinkling. And that's what I got. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, that's what I got. You had like Harriet Tubman, you know, Rosa Parks, MLK, but you didn't learn about Malcolm X, right? right. I, I didn't learn about Baldwin until later. I didn't learn about Emmett Till until I was 22, no, 19, 18, 18 or 19. And those are things that I should have learned about when I was Emmett Till's age, you know? Right. Why didn't, there's a reason why these things happen. It's, you know, every, I think that's the other thing when you, when you, as you grow up and you get in your thoughts, if we're talking about being in your head, you start to realize, holy shit, like everything around me is intentional. There's a reason why for all this stuff, and you, when you look at it, you may not be excited about it. <laughs> and when you think about it like this, like the whole, the pandemic and the the riots that are happening and the marches, I think people don't understand, like, it's a good thing that people do care. Like these kids are caring. You know, I, I'm, I'm 1989. So sometimes I think that I'm desensitized or I'm numb to the fact how police treated me because I thought it was the normal. Like when I saw these videos, I'm like, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I've seen that all the time. So when I talk to young people younger than me, like, no, that's not right. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. I'm like, holy, yeah. Oh, all right. Cool. Like who hasn't been stopped? Like when I moved up to New York, I was like, I was surprised how these people talk to police officers. I was surprised how they were just yelling at police officers and saying whatever they wanted. And I was like, nah, we don't do that down south at all. Like you yell at a cop, there's, it's, it's hand on the wheel, hat off, everything else. And your whole goal is to give the utmost respect so they feel like, oh, I'm in control. And they're like, oh, thank you for making me feel like that. So most of these police officers want, they, you know, they're, they're trying to dominate you. You know, they're trying to dominate the conversation. They're trying to dominate everything else. And they're very, turn, they're very, they, they're, I'm trying to say this. They're very shocked when you give them that credit up front. And they're just like, whoa. I like guess so many tickets I got out of like, yes, sir. No, sir. I'm so sorry. I'm from Florida. I don't know the rules of New York. And this guy's like, you know what? Thank you. Whoa. I, uh, you know what? Just, I'm, I'm going to give you a warning. You know what? You don't know anything. Come on. But I can tell when he walked up to the car, he was ready to be all like hands on the wheel. But as soon as he saw me, my hands were on the wheel. My, everything was on the dashboard. He just kind of like kept looking in the car and he was like, where are you from, son? I was like, I'm from Florida. I don't know. I don't, I don't know the rules here, but I don't, I don't want to make, and he goes, you know what, this is, this is actually a pleasant stop. I'm going to go ahead and let you go. But I knew in his mind he was ready to be all like, this kid's going to tell me something. Why am I getting pulled over? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I understand you have a gun on your hip. I understand that you're probably scared of me because this beard, you don't know what I look like. So I'm going to try to just diffuse the situation. But up in New York, I see people just like, yo, why'd you pull me over? Yo, get out of my face. You blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, man, you guys, man, you guys probably aren't used to people getting shot out here. Okay. Maybe because there's not guns everywhere. And I think when you're down south, when you know that people can carry concealed weapons, you're a whole lot easier to realize, like, maybe I should, do, I, maybe I should leave this alone. Being in the south, coming from Massachusetts was crazy. Because up here in Massachusetts, now, now I maybe know one, if I, I'm thinking, like, I'm racking through my brain of people in, the, in the, my local, I maybe know two or three people 
max. And I'm racking my brain who own guns. You know, but I go to the South every. and I every, and I get there and my roommate, I don't know if you were supposed to do this. I don't know what the rules were. I don't know about guns. I remember he was like, yeah, I got a Glock in my, uh, I got a Glock in my Suburban in the student parking lot. It's in a lock safe and I have the key or like I, you know, there's a punch code or whatever. But I'm like, dude, why do you need a gun here, man? Like somebody beat you in beer pong and you're just going to like shoot up the place. You like see a bear on the road. You have to use that gun. If you see a bear. If you yeah. See right. A some deer. deer, some deer comes at you. You have, you have, you have to be packing. I never wild hogs. I never understood it. I know. And then being in the South and you just like at a mall, you're at like a footlocker trying to try on some shoes and some dude walks by and he's got like, Glocks on both hips. I'm like, my guy, who's who's coming for you? I just think people who are armed are people who live in fear from one reason or another. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't. You know, they they have an idea that their that the, their safety is under siege and that they need guns. And then you go back to what you're saying about people. It's totally that way from the south to the north. From what I saw, interactions with police. You know, in the north, people are like, "Nah, dude, like." why the, did you pull me over, you know, um, instead of like, Hey officer, how you doing? But on that note, it's interesting. Cause then you have the case of Philando Castile, mm-hmm. who's a guy who, you know, is a card member. He's got a gun. He's, he's just a, he, you know, he owns a gun and he's trying to show that to the, to the police officer and the police officer kills him. You know, dude, it's, um, it's, 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 it's so, a, it's a badge. I, I say this all the time, man. I'm just like, man, what, Sometimes you wonder, as a black dude, when you're just like, every country in the world, the lower class people are the darkest people. My black experience, I can go to any country where, when I go to all these countries, a black dude from their country will talk to me, he's like, we're just like you guys, man. We're just like you guys. You just, it was just black Americans. We got the loudest voice because we're from a powerful country. So people hear us and they echo it. I met a chick in Israel and she told me the first time she ever saw a black person that looked like her on TV was TLC. I was like, T- like Left Eye, Chili, and T-Boz? And she goes, yeah, those are the first people that ever looked like me. So she's like, all of our voices came from you guys. So you go to these countries and you're just like, yeah, we got colorism. But what do you think Argentina's like? What do you think all these other countries are like? They got black people there too that don't have a voice Freaking all the novellas, they're like, you marry a slave and the whole goal is to get with a white dude and get the blackness out of your family. I'm like, yo, what the, f-? she's like, yeah, we're, we're looking at us, but there's a lot of people that don't have any voices that are just like, oh, freak, like, hey, hey, we, we got something to say too. We got, we got a voice. And language is so part of like, we're so, even though we're focused on ourselves, like we're trying to liberate ourselves, what's happening in all these other countries? Well, the Argentinian president asked her, they're like, how do you feel about the indigenous people in your country? She goes, go to Brazil. We don't have dark people. I'm like, what? What did you just say? Where'd all the Nazis go? They went to Argentina. I, uh, I studied abroad in Argentina when I was an undergrad. And I was out in Mendoza, which is out. Have you been to Argentina? Not yet. My cousin, my cousin went. He's black too, but he was telling me the girls were all over him. I said, probably because you're a rare anomaly. But it, de- they're all over. A, a, definite, a definite rarity. And the, so I'm out in Mendoza and I'm at like, people sell stuff on the street in Latin America. Like it's nothing, you don't need a permit or whatever. So you can just go out, bring whatever you want to sell and just put your picnic, you know, put a blanket down and just sell stuff. And I'm out at like an open air thing where people have just kind of come. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a little market, I guess you could say. And I'll never forget. I don't know why I didn't buy it. I should have bought it because it was like, holy crap. I saw, I found a, a little knife probably with a blade, maybe 10, 10 inches, 10, 12 inches. I don't know. Uh, I'll never forget. It was a Hitler youth knife. What? It was a Hitler youth knife. It had the, it had the swastika on it. Uh, and it couldn't have been for a bayonet. It didn't have one of the things you affixed. But I remember I picked it up and I was so shocked because obviously I knew that so many, I mean, a lot of Germans just in general, not just Nazis, Germans in general, right. went and you know, emigrated and went to Argentina. And you'll find a lot of uh, German last names um, you know, you just all over Argentina. Argentina is so beautiful in the hills. It's just like being in Germany as far as like 
the landscape and so much of the architecture is germ it, it's german influence so it looks like you're you know uh over near i don't know like frankfurt and cologne like on some country road or something um and i've been out there and so but I found like a Hitler youth knife and I was just like, holy crap. And I forget who I was with, but we just like, let's not buy it. Like, let's not buy it. But in All retrospect, right. I wish I had bought it to All get right. it off there. Um, even just like go give it to a museum or something and be like, yo, I got this in Argentina. Look into the story, have someone like look back at it. Cause most of those knives had serial numbers on it or whatever. Um, so yeah, that is kind of crazy. Uh, also. And a lot of the people from the Confederate States left Argentina too. They left to Belize and they went to like Argentina to live. Like really? Lost, yeah, when they lost, a lot of the, lot of the people from the Confederacy, they left and moved to Argentina. Interesting. Yeah, because Argentina is one of the, you know, they don't, they really have little to no indigenous population because they were all wiped out. Oh, they and made them become soldiers and they put them on the front lines and stuff like that. Yeah, and they almost have little to no black population just because of slavery was really more of a Caribbean thing. Uh, and it happened in like Northern Brazil, you know what I mean? Um, but it's, Argentina's definitely, Argentina and Uruguay are two countries. Wiped them out, yeah. Yeah, they're very, to be frank, they're very, you know, they're very white. I don't really know of another way to say it. Uh, compared to some of the, many of the other countries, you know, like I was born in Colombia and I've spent a lot of time there. Colombia is so racially diverse. You could see, any, like picture any human being on the planet, they could be Colombian. It's just like the United States. Anybody on the planet could be, you know, from the States. You can't say, oh, this person looks this way. This person has this religion. This person speaks this language. No, like they could be. So Colombia is the same. So Argentina is definitely a lot more racially homogenous, I guess would be the, the kind of academic way of saying it. <laughs> what part of Colombia are you from? I was born in Bogota. Oh, Bogota. I was born in Bogota. Yeah. So. I forgot. Then, what's up? Columbia, where um, there uh, there's this whole online thing about Blackie, Pablo Escobar's his right hand man was named Blackie, so it was like this black thing. So there, it's like a whole hashtag where is Blackie or like Blackie's family and stuff like that. I don't know if you saw that before. No, no, I didn't see that. And if I, I, I didn't see that. And it's so interesting the way in the last. I mean, this has always been a thing, but it's more become more global. Also, just a side note, I don't know my neighbors. I just moved in this place and they're upstairs and it seems like they're moving a grand piano. So if that affects the audio, it's so just I'm live. Gonna... It's just live. Yeah. Um, but the, the romanticizing of the violence is something we've always done in the United States. I mean, we have all these war movies of like romanticizing violence, uh, you know, but definitely the romanticizing of Pablo Escobar, the fetishizing of what he did in shows on Netflix um, on you know some of these subscription base has been very interesting, and I haven't watched, but I'm sure that that's where people probably saw the character Blackie, uh, and then that became a thing. Um, My friend, he's a stand-up comic, and he he has a joke about watching Narcos as a Colombian and hearing Pablo Escobar as a Brazilian speaking Spanish. He goes, "It's the worst thing ever." He goes, it, I, "I cannot get over how he doesn't sound like he's from Colombia." And he's all, you know, Escobar was from, he's a Paisa, so he's Medi, from Medellin, and they have a very particular accent. And it's not, it's easy to intimidate, like very difficult to perfectly replicate. Uh, easy to Im imitate. I don't know if I said intimidate or easy to imitate, but it's tough to like get it perfect. It's the same thing with like the Boston accent. Mm -hmm. There's so many Boston movies and you hear it, you're like, oh, okay, like that's like a good attempt but they're so easy to do more than what you should. And many people do that with the kind of the Paisa accent where Pablo is from, but I've heard the same thing. Most Colombians are like, dude, we don't even listen to it because it's so bad. How do you like, how do you have a Brazilian come do that? But that's just the thing that like is all throughout cinema. You know, um, you have Braveheart, right? It's about a Scottish guy, but you got an Australian doing it. Right? <laughs> you know, you have, uh, and especially in like Latin American cinema, there's, many movies that they'll use Mexican actors mm -hmm. when they should be Guatemalans. And I lived in Guatemala and that's just like, that's like the tip of the, the tip of the, please, we are not Guatemala. Like we are not Mexican. We are a whole different country. Like we're not a state of Mexico. We are a whole different country. And so that happens all the time. One, zone, four, zone one and zone four are completely different in Guatemala. Exactly. 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 So that's definitely like a lot of Colombians have a hard time with it, obviously because it's also like fantasizing a time when 
was just horrible for the country. I mean, yeah, it's a couple how we do that, right? We're just like, oh man, we fetishize of drug dealers so much in this country. And we don't realize like that country was like almost like they were like a civil war. They're like blowing up bombs and stuff like that. Like he literally went to war with his own country. Yeah, I mean, he went to war. Yeah, he totally went to war with his own country. And the, I, the one of the crazy stats that comes out of that period is that I think it was in, you know, you were born in 89, I'm in 87, but I think it was in, in around that time or the early 90s, Medellin was the only country on the planet that had the highest GDP per capita, not GDP, the highest uh, per capita income, right? Because there was so much money, Pablo had so much money. And it also had the highest uh, deaths per whatever, 100,000. You'll never have that on again, because normally you have deaths are in war zones and the highest, you know, per capita, whatever is like in London, right? Tokyo, right. Ha, you know, New York, Manhattan, the Bay Area, like when some crypto goes crazy, but it's not, you don't have those two things together. And so that is how wild it was. There was so much money that it was the highest per capita on the planet. And it was the highest per capita deaths for like a hundred thousand, I think is the way that they measure that. Okay, so if you can imagine that, Right. There's so much money in the streets. And that small that it, city is just booming everything. Yeah, exactly. And Medi, have you been to Medellin? I have not. I haven't been to Colombia. I haven't been to Colombia. We have, okay. we have Colombia to go to. We haven't been to Colombia. I've been to Guatemala. Nice, nice. But I want to see, like, my lady, she does, um, uh, I, freak, I know what she does. Conservation. Conservation, pretty much. Um, So she knows, like, all the artifacts and stuff. So when we go to countries, we have... An itinerary, we're looking at where this stuff was born, everything else. So, like, you know, the traveling's put a damp, but we, I like going with her because we know, like, the history. You know, it's one thing to travel, but when you have, like, a real live tour guide, it's like, oh, this is where this comes from. This is everything else. So, conservation and architects. So, it's just like, we're going through all that. But, like, I want to go to Colombia. Like, I wanted to go two summers ago. But I had, a, had a, I, I had a chance to go to Egypt. So I was like, I, I got to go to Egypt. I freaking got to go. Like, I got to go there. How was that? Dude, that was amazing, man. It's amazing how they see us. It's amazing how, what they think of just Americans in general. But this guy, uh, I, so I convinced the tour guide to go to Mount Sinai. And the people with me were freaking out. They're like, ISIS was just there three days ago. I was like, well, this is where Moses got the tablets. Let's do it. We're already here, you know? <laughs> they're freaking out. They're scared. And I was like, I was like, you can't travel scared. If you travel scared, something's going to happen. If you just go, you know, no one, no one, you don't go there preparing for to be like hurt. You just go there to travel. So we get there and we have like these security guys. Everyone has guns on them. And he keeps asking me, he's like, you're a black American. I was like, no, I'm not. And he goes, yes, you are. I was like, no, I'm Canadian. He's like, no, 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 black American. I was like, no, why would you say that? He goes, look, you walk, you talk, your beard. I was like, no, no, I'm Canadian. And he goes, black Americans always dance. And I'm like, what? He goes, they always dance. Trust me, they always dance. And I was like, in my head, I was like, I'm going to make sure I never dance, everything else. <laughs> as soon as we went to the Nile River, Allah, hey, say la vie. Then I caught myself 15 minutes on the dance floor dancing. I was like, freak, he's so right. God, <laughs> freak, he's so right. How did, how, how did he know? <laughs> he, since being around, he's like, every time he goes, all every time he's been in Cairo, he goes, we know who the black Americans are because they always dance. He said, they always are dancing. And they're always, that's how you know. He said, they're either going to dance or smile. He's like, yeah, just like TV. They dance, they're party. They like to have fun. And I was like, freak, he's right. Freak. And as right. soon as I was like 15 minutes in, he looks at me and he goes, <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> no Canada, the black American. I told you, I was like, freak, he's right. Sometimes yeah. I think it's like Southern people. I think Southern people are completely different because being from the South, we're more, we're more family-based, but everyone in the South lives amongst each other. So anything that we don't know about each other, they're going to ask in New York, it's very segregated for people to say how culturally diverse the city is like Jewish people over here, Muslim people over here, black people are here, Hispanics are here. And the culture diversity happens as you pass each other on the train. I've met people from the Bronx that only met a, a white, had a white friend when they were 23 years old. As he telling me your whole life, you never had a white friend. He goes, only white person I ever knew was my teacher. 
it was until I hit 23 where I had my first white friend that was actually cool. And being in the South, was like, I met white dudes, Hispanic dudes, everything else. The first time I met, like, when people were, like, scared of 9-11, I was like, no, we had nothing but Saudi Arabian people in our neighborhood. And we like, no. I was like, why are you true? No, wait, wait, no. These, they're not terrorists. These are our friends. I remember the first time this woman pulled off her job and went to her house and her hair dropped to the floor. And I was like, I said, are you a mermaid? I think I asked her, like, I was like, are you a mermaid? <laughs> she was like, no, this is just how long my hair is. Like, oh, my God. I remember just her hair just rolling down. So, like, I'm thankful for these experiences that I had. So, like, when 9-11 did hit, the whole country, like, shifted to be like, we're going to be mean to brown people now. I'm like, what? Like, what? why are we doing this? Why are we just taking it? We, each 10 years, we take a group of people and we're just like, no, we're not going to, nope, nope, let's demonstrate, nope, still going to put blacks as the denominator, but look at these ones too. And I tell people all the time when people, sometimes people will say things about like Mexicans. I'm like, what's wrong with being Mexican? Why is that a bad thing? Why is it a bad thing? Okay, I understand your, your ethnicity is not Mexican but you don't have to put down Mexicans because you're not Mexican. I was like, all my friends are Mexican. So what? Like, I don't, I don't see why we have to discredit. Like my friend's Puerto Rican. He's like, don't call me Mexican. I was like, I understand that, but I'm not going to let you say anything disrespectful to Mexican people because you think that you associate a lower class of people with Mexicans. Cause when you go to Mexico, beautifulest country in the world. The, the inner, oh, you've hit on something that's so, it's a conversation that happens all the time, but it's just not like the forefront right now, but it's the like, yeah. Okay. Once we look at, we'll just look at, you know, people, the Latinx community, there is such a hierarchy even within that community of, Oh, my country is better than your country. You mm -hmm. know, I'm from this country. So first of all, I'm better than you. Oh, and I'm light skinned and you're darker skinned. So there's, a, it's just crazy. It's crazy the way, society, the media just continues to find ways uh, to divide us, you know. The Spaniards, man, they did a really good job. On they did a great job. Like, shout, they, out, shout out Spaniards, good job. <laughs> the Spanish people have done such an amazing job with their racism that we kind of like forgot about it because maybe we don't speak the language as much, but there's a black community inside Mexico that they just identified 15 years ago they had like their first black president and no one acknowledges it, that it was like one of their second, the original second, the second president of like Mexico was a black dude. Yeah. Like he was black as dark as he was. What did you, what color did you think he was? Yeah. Then in all these countries. And I'm just like, it's funny in America, how the Latin community is together, how we have to, how they rally together. But I was like, in all their countries, they don't like each other. Yeah. And, and they're all they don't like each other at all. And, and I don't even know, like, are they even rallying together? Because like, it's always been a thing, like, you know, you're from Florida, but how when Cubans came over, you know, the, the difference treatment between like the Cubans, the Dominicans and the Haitians, and how a lot of that was just based strictly on race. Um, yeah, because they're all from Latin America. But, you know, they were treated differently just based on like the color of their skin. Uh, Dude, their experiences were completely different. And so that's how you get dudes like Marco Rubio, who mm. doesn't even see himself within that, you know, he, and the, the dude speaks Spanish. Like he speaks Spanish. Like I've heard him speak Spanish. Like he'll speak Spanish when he's on like, you know, Univision, he's in like different interviews. Um, and then he'll say stuff, but he's just completely removed from, I think the immigrant experience and he's removed from, yeah, like, I, I don't know. It's very strange, very strange. Like the, the, the whiter Latinx community in Florida is just a whole different thing. Um, they don't see themselves in the struggle with the Guatemalans, the Hondurans, the Mexicans, no, they the don't. Salvadorians who are coming up right. through Texas and crossing over the, the, the deserts in Arizona and dying. They just don't see themselves, which is crazy. It's just crazy, you know? Dude, it's so hard about the Cuban, the Cuban experience because being in Cuba, like it's a love-hate relationship with Fidel because you get all these people saying how bad he is. You got a group of people saying how good he is. Then you got, when you go to Cuba, the black people there are just like, we're not treated fairly. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what the freak? Cause his book is amazing. Like his book is amazing that he wrote courses. You write your own story. It's going to seem amazing. 
but it's like they said like other African countries are just like they praise Fidel. They're like Fidel sent troops and everything else and helped liberate us. And everyone in the queue were like, he only did that for political things or he only left one pimp and went to the USSR pimp. And then you think about like he never really won any wars. He really was the first internet troll, pretty much. He was the first one that created this persona and people believed it and they kind of just left and he took over the country. Like when he came in, it was only like 40 people on, on like Humvees. And like, this is, well, I guess it's Fidel Castro. All right, this is our new leader. So like it's, it's, the thing is like the history isn't there for you to pick a side. Because so many people are like this that I mean, like take off that Che Guevara shirt. I'm like, all right, my bad. And some of you are like, no, Che Guevara fought for us. And I'm like, all right, you know what? This isn't my fight. This is not my fight at all. But at the same time, like, I want to know more. Like, I want to know more. Because when you get to Cuba, I'm like, why are all these statues of, oh, what's the guy's name in Venezuela? Um, he just died, the dictator that just died there. Yeah, it's for some reason. I know the new president, Maduro, and I can't think of uh, the old president right now. And I can picture, you know, the worst part is I can picture his face because I've seen so much propaganda for him. So yeah, it's like that. It's like the Latin community. I run. I wonder, like, why don't all these Latin countries just form their own thing? And they could make well, a whole super, a super world power. They could be a first world country if they made it like a united, you know. So I mean, you know, back in the day when, um, uh, why can't I? I think of this guy's name. The president. I know name. what his name is. His name is. Hugo Chavez. Hugo Chavez. I don't know why I couldn't do that. So back in the day, Venezuela, Ecuador, and Colombia used to be Gran Colombia. So like the big Colombia. Mm -hmm. And that's why all their flags are still so similar. Um, the Venezuelan flag has like some stars on it. And Ecuadorian flag has like a, uh, a shield. And the Colombian flag doesn't have everything. But they, that used to be Gran Colombia. And so mm -hmm. brothers and sisters. So Venezuelans, you know, and Panama used to be a part of Colombia. So like Colombia, this, this Gran Colombia used to be this huge thing and it used to take over. And that's kind of the way the Spanish divided up their colonial crown was to have different sectors. And that's why the Southern Cone uh, was its own thing. And then you had like the mid, which was like Peru, Bolivia or whatever. So yeah, it used to be one thing. Um, and I think with the, with the exodus of Venezuelans right now into Colombia, because since their economic crisis a couple of years ago, in uh, now, especially with the pandemic, I think more than like 2 million Venezuelans have come over into Colombia. And in many ways, it's interesting because I think the Colombian state has been exceedingly welcoming to them, helping them find places to live, helping them find food, creating social programs. And then on the same time, it's now tough because it's like, you know, I am not for this America first thing. I think that we are such a powerful nation. We should be able to bring people in, especially countries like you were saying that we've maybe hurt in the past to create situations where they need to flee. Right. It's also super tough now with the pandemic because the health systems are so stretched. Doesn't matter what country you're in, that it's like, how do we, you know, how do we deal with this? Mm -hmm. And we as humans and you know, active members of society, we're gonna have to continue to engage in these topics because moving forward, it's only gonna be more questions. Uh, climate change is gonna continue yeah. to force people up through the Mexican border from wherever they're gonna come from uh, because they can't grow crops anymore. There's drought. Mm. And many of these people live, they have to have their corn to make tortillas to eat. And if they can't have their corn, then they can't have their tortillas, then they don't eat. And, you know, desperation, you know, if, if my family was living in the, the foothills of Guatemala and we, you know, grew corn ever since ever. And all of a sudden now, every year we're losing two days of crop at the beginning and the end of our harvest. Well, in 10 years, that's 40 days. And then we don't have a harvest. Right. So we got to keep it moving. So I don't know, I would take my kids and I would try to get up to the United States where, yeah, I can hop on and make 15 bucks an hour and we can live in a one bedroom apartment, but at least my kids are sheltered. They have food and, you know, safe. They're safe. That's like the, that, and that, that's the base. That's the right. base. We haven't even talked about how then we're going to try to maybe, you know, get my kids a good education, make sure they have health, you know, a, a good healthcare system to cover them in the event that they get sick because we're humans, we get sick, you know? So these are conversations we're going to have to continue to have. And they're not, because there's no easy answers. And we penalize, we kind of penalize third world countries for coming here. So you could take a doctor. So for instance, I had an intern, she was a doc, she was a doctor from Cuba and she kept asking me for advice. And I'm like, you already know, you went to, you're a freaking doctor. 
But she's like, here, I have to start all over again. So you got a doctor becoming a janitor. You have all these people with all these degrees. They have to come back and start from the bottom level again to climb back up. And I'm just like, how come we don't do that to people from London? We don't do that to the Australian people. We don't do that to a French person that comes here. We acknowledge their degrees. Like You're telling me these guys don't have education and they literally have been practicing medicine for 15 years? So we set it up for them like, okay, it's hard enough to get here, but when you get here, start from the bottom again. Yeah, exactly. And But if we and, go to their country, we're just like, all right, you got an American Greek? Come on, start. Let's do it. It's totally like that. It's, you know, some things are lateral, so you can just move across and other things you have to literally start from the bottom. It doesn't, uh, it's... Uh, and then the climate crisis, that to me is at the base of everything. That's at the base of the pandemic. And that's a conversation that many people, uh, many of my friends who are climate, you know, climate activists are like, yeah, you, you can't separate the climate crisis right. from the pandemic. What we're doing is we're killing all these animals and we're moving them out because we just keep growing. Uh, we, you know, we keep developing that big word. We want more development and we're going to keep you know, moving these animals out. So that way we keep knocking these bats out of their trees and then they're going to go into the markets and then they're going to shit with a pig or with something else we're going to eat because we like to eat animals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then we're going to get these crazy things because these two animals have never, ever met before. And when they do, they're going to create crazy viruses. And so it like talks about veganism. Maybe we shouldn't be eating animals anymore because when we eat animals, we're, you know, we're using land to graze and we could use that land to raise crops there's like so many different arguments and the intersectionality of where I think this pandemic comes from are things people don't want to talk about. Whenever you talk about like, I don't eat, I've been a pescatarian now for almost three and a half years. And whatever I even talk about that with my friends, I feel like I'm preaching, you know, <laughs> because they're automatically feeling judged or maybe I'm feeling like I'm judging them. And, you know, so it's like, we got this and then we have the climate and it all has to do. So we're going to keep having more pandemics if we don't change the way that we live. Uh, because we're have left in this world is water and Wi-Fi, man. It's the only thing. We and we might not even have the water. We, won't, we probably won't, man. <laughs> we probably won't. It'll be like dirt cleaning, cleaning, cleaning to get the water left, dude. It's, it's, it's crazy that we're in this world right now and we're seeing it because everyone's talking about what is the future going to be like for our kids. And we're as Americans, we're just like, who cares? We're like, we're just trying to live. Like we're 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 trying to live. We're trying to do this. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know about the election, to be honest. Got it. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll find out. This is good. We'll just, we can, we could, we'll end this with part one. I like this. We'll just say that we'll call it the Jared, the Jared and Jared connection. I like that. And just leave it. I was going to, like, I'm already thinking like some like dude I met on Instagram, stranger yeah. talks or something like that. <laughs> I said, well, we can, we can call this episode water on the hill, water and Wi-Fi on the hill. <laughs> Water, water on the hill sounds like a Drake album, you know. It probably is, and him it probably about some old girl breaking his heart. Exactly, exactly. Water on the hill, just like with some trap beat, it's like ASMR voice. Exactly. <laughs> Yo, dude, man, I, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, it's it's been a pleasure. I'll definitely freaking follow each other's podcasts and just keep linking up, dude. For sure, man. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, vice versa, dude. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to to share this, and and I love if we just did a a meetup because I'm always interested to know what's going on with New York because what right. happens in New York affects the rest of the country and honestly some of the world, so it's great. All right, dude. Hey, man. Peace and blessings, man. Take it easy. Thanks, man. My man. Hey, you're live on the podcast. One man, one tree in a hill. Say what up to the people. Now, this is when I see black excellence. It's Keenan Thompson. And I see this giant butt. I'm like, oh, who is that? Turns out it's Questlove. So Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy. And they're all sitting at the table. And I walk up to Eddie Murphy. And I was like, hey, Mr. Murphy, I just want to say you're the GOAT, man. And you're the coldest that ever walked the face of the earth. You got to break that thing over. She wants it private, but y'all not even together right now. So we haven't spoken about anything but the cat for at two least months. two months. Uh, uh, and I'm be the next Jamar Neighbors. Yeah. And she was up like, I know that's right. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the podcast. My name is Jerry Waters, and I'll catch you next time. Like, subscribe, rate the podcast. Have a wonderful night, wonderful day, whatever you're listening to. I'll see you soon.